Welcome to the Filmed Live Musicals Podcast, a podcast about stage musicals that have been legally filmed and publicly distributed. The Filmed Live Musicals website contains information on nearly 200 musicals that have been captured live. Check it out at filmedlivemusicals.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 53 of the Filmed Live Musicals podcast. I'm your host, Louisa Lyons, and today we have something a little bit different from the usual musical theatre fair. My guest today is Nick Corston, founder of Steenco, a British nonprofit that aims to connect kids with their art and communities with their schools. Steamco travels around the UK with a kitted out trailer to provide schools with creativity days that include workshops, coding and rocket building. In the past few weeks, Steamco have run workshops across the UK where kids put together shows, perform for their schools and live stream to the wider community. Welcome, Nick. Hello, Louisa. Gosh, this is lovely to be here. And what lovely intro. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. <laughs> it's always lovely to hear people talk about you. You think, oh, it's nice. <laughs> oh, I've done those things. <laughs> so in your work, you've talked a lot about being a dad and wanting to inspire your own kids and how it was your own dad who inspired you with a train set. Can you tell us more about that? Oh, my goodness. That's a long time ago now, although it does pop up in my films, I must admit. Mm-hmm. I've got a little film my dad made uh, when I was one, which is more than 20 years ago, because I'm a little bit over 21, as I'm sure you can imagine. And my dad spent two or three months wages on a, an old cine film and a camera and projector. It's not super it's standard eight, actually. I, and uh, Actually, your audience probably interested in these technical details, but most film, most film was, was, was um, 16 millimeter. So literally, in the early days of home movie, they literally cut 16 millimetre film in half to make 8 millimetre. But if you think about it, it only had the little sprocket holes on the one side. And that was standard eight. And then they thought, hang on, this is taking off. We'll, we'll, we'll go properly with this. And they put the sprocket holes on both sides to give greater control. So the real purists have standard eight, and, as we did, and, and everybody else got super eight. Anyway, I digress. Are you still awake? <laughs> <laughs> and my, I've got this lovely little film my dad made of me when I was one with my first ever train set. And it's nothing more than a loop of track. And a little clockwork train buzzing around and me marvelling at this with my father. And then a magical moment. My dad shows me how to make a bridge. And I love going into school showing this to the kids because I say, what did my dad use to make a bridge? And all the smart alecks get their hands up and say, you used your arm. And then somebody, I say, well, that's great. Yeah, they're all right answers. Somebody else will say, well, you used your hand. And I say, yeah, that's great. And I say, well, what else? Oh, you used metal, you used Lego, you used wood, you used bricks. I say, whatever, you know, your imagination is on fire. What? My dad showed me how to make a bridge with my arm. But really... He was showing me how to use my imagination. And in my head, that bridge wasn't made with my arm. It was made of bricks. And there were boys and girls and people waving at the train. And there was smoke coming through our faces as the train went past. And and really, that reinforces to me what I call the three greatest gifts that anybody can give a child, their own child or anybody else's child, or even themselves. And the three greatest gifts are some time, stories, and art. Um, time to play with your children, to read with them, to make with them, or just to be with them. You know, in this busy day and age, sometimes just being there with your kids is, is priceless. To give them stories that they can tell, to give them some cultural capital, to go to cool places with them and do cool things with it doesn't have to cost the earth, but things that they can create stories in later life with, and also to give them their art. And we can talk about art later on. My art, 
as a result of that was engineering. I went on to be an engineer at university, and here I am now with lots of gadgets and gizmo, which I think is probably what's brought me to you today. So that was a long answer, but I hope that was okay. I hope you've got enough tape for this recording, Louisa. <laughs> no, that was beautiful. And thankfully, now we are in the digital age and don't have to worry about length of tape, just enough uh, data, <laughs> enough storage space for all the video. Absolutely. You, you mentioned that you became an engineer. Can you, can you tell us a bit about that life, that past life before what you're currently doing? Well, funny enough, actually, somebody asked me the other day where a lot of my inspiration came from. And, and funny enough, it came from not having a television. <laughs> I, I was actually 60 the other week. I don't tell many people that, so don't tell your 100,000 billion audience, will you, for goodness sake. But, <laughs> Happy yeah, birthday. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm going to celebrate it for the rest of my life, I think, lasting that long. Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, my mother always used to say that I was very creative and very busy and very active, not just because they, they hadn't invented ADHD in those days, but she, she actually felt it was because we didn't have a TV, so I'd occupied myself. I'd make things, I'd do things, I'd play, I'd create, I'd be, in, I'd be imaginative, I'd be curious. And my brother's two years younger than me, and then we did get a little black wooden box with a black and white screen, and, and we did watch a lot of TV, and he watched more TV than me. I don't judge him. He's had a very successful life, but very different. And But I credit a lot of my creativity with some of the programs the BBC produced, funny enough. We have this fantastic kids' program called Blue Peter, which mm-hmm. was a, a bi-weekly as in twice a week, um, magazine program lasting about 20, 30 minutes. But it was about interesting things. They did make things every week. They made things from sticky back plastic and cardboard inners from toilet roll tubes, which, funny enough, they stopped making now. Um, and and another program is called Vision On. Have, have you heard of Morph, the animated ca- cartoon character Morph, little mutt plasticine? No. Have you heard, you've heard of Wallace and Gromit? Yep. You know, yeah, so Wallace and Gromit is from the same Ardman Animation Studio as Morph, and Morph was a small plasticine animated character that used to star on the Vision On Arts and Crafts program, and and it was it was I, I think it was actually possibly even for deaf well not blind people for deaf people because there's no narrative it was all visual. And they do sculpting, they do painting, they do drawing, they do they do illustrations with thumbprints and do little insect lines off them. And they had an art gallery at the end. And, and we used to dream of seeing our art in that art gallery at the end, just a, a camera panning through lots and lots of kids' art. But for me, see, so ironically, I got a great a great start in life by not having a TV, but it was then supercharged by some brilliant creative content. That the, the beautiful, wonderful BBC created for kids. So yeah, I, so that from there I went. To, I, I, I was always very hands-on, very practical. I was, I was, I was very much into my model railways, making things. <laughs> this is my ground. This is, this is what really kicked me off in life to be creative, to be a maker, to be a doer, to be curious. I went to university, did engineering, but when I was at university, I was building sound systems. I learned, I built myself a disco mixer, and I ran a sound system and was DJing. So I've DJed for forty years ever since I went to university. So yeah, a bit of a we have a phrase, a jack of all trades, master of none. Does that sort of resonate? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is so great. You've, as you were talking about the BBC, you reminded me of a program that I watched growing up called Art Attack, the British show with uh, Neil, I forget his name now, oh. but it was this great show that inspired creativity and and at the end of each episode, he'd do like an, a, a work that you could see. If, um, they would have like a drone or sort of like a crane camera that you could see from the air. This this piece that was like lots of little bits and pieces that when you when the camera panned up, it created this massive picture. It was it was such a great show. BBC have such oh, amazing. 
Well, there, there, there's been all these different genres of TV programme. Obviously, I missed it. I went to university. I didn't sit around watching kids' TV when I was at university. I was too busy DJing and clubbing, you see. So I, I, I would imagine you're a little bit younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> And so you've talked also in your work about being inspired after your work in engineering that you're inspired by the House of Fairy Tales at Camp Bestival in Dorset, a kind of Glastonbury for kids. So can you tell us more about what that event was and how it inspired you to create Steamco? That's interesting, yeah. Because you, you've, you've rightly so jumped about 20, 30 years in my life. Through, I had a, a career in digital media and marketing. I did some of the first ever websites. So I did actually the first ever website for Microsoft from a live stream for the Edinburgh Festival. I did CD-ROM giveaways for exhibitions. Um, I actually went to a conference in San Francisco called, you, can't, you probably struggle to believe there was ever such a thing, the Microsoft CD-ROM conference. Can you imagine there was ever such a thing? It's a bit like going to a paper event, isn't it? You know? um, and I saw, I saw Bill Gates at that event show video on a computer for the very first time, even before Apple's QuickTime, and gave a business card to one of his colleagues, and they sent me a development kit, and I did the first ever video on a PC for Microsoft here in the UK. And we had to fly to Sweden to make a, v- a video, a VHS videotape, you probably don't remember those, about what video on a computer looked like, because nobody had the ability to play video on their computers. Hilarious. Anyway, but that's where we were. So, we, yeah, we were talking about, um, about going to that festival. Yeah, so... My life changed with children, and I, and I do have a theory, and I don't mean this to sound harsh to people who haven't got kids, n- never had kids, not going to have kids, whatever, but you, nobody really, really, really cares totally about kids and creativity in the context of children until they have them, or are very close to somebody who does. And I don't say that to be nasty, I, I just believe that you care in a different way. And same with me. I mean, well, I do know Seth Godin, you've come across him. Mm-hmm. So Seth Godin, classic, you know, fantastic in marketing, advertising, strategy, behavior, blah, blah, blah. As far as I'm concerned, another person didn't give a damn about kids and creativity in that context until he had kids. And so he thought, they're not going to teach creativity out of my children. So he wrote a paper. Now, if you think of an academic, Ken Robinson, for example, so Ken Robinson wrote a book about creative schools. He called it creative schools because he's an academic he's not the most creative person in the world bless him you know with respect um but he called a paper about creative a book about creative schools creative schools seth godin writes a book about creativity in schools called stop stealing dreams Mm. which if you're a parent gets you right there if you're a creative gets you right there if you care about kids creativity and all our futures if you're what i call a creative carer it gets you right there now that's the difference and so basically, I didn't care about kids or creativity, even though I was in the creative industries and had a creative background and was a child once, believe it or not. Well, actually, I still am. Probably one day, maybe I'll grow up. But <laughs> there, there were three things that, that really were a massive milestone moment for me. The first was seeing Sir Ken's TED Talk on how schools can kill creativity, which I'm sure anybody watching this has seen. And if not, why not? And if not, press pause and go and watch it. Number one, TED Talk. The second thing was reading half a book and that book was by a colleague of ken's actually and flatmate when they were students professor guy claxton a book called what's the point of school because if you've got kids and you're sending them to school you want to know what the flipping point of school is and when you read a book like that it asks some very interesting questions because it's clear that we have a system that is doing exactly what it was designed to do and that was to teach people to sit still in factories and offices it's just we don't need people to do that anymore we need them to live Mm -hmm. creative lives and full lives and think and be critical and curious and well some people might not agree with that 
So that was an interesting book. I only read half of it. So, wow, I'm sold. You know, put the book down, cracked on. The third thing, as you said, was going to a festival called Camp Festival. Now, it's a little bit like kind of Glastonbury or a Burning Man or a a Coachella for for families, basically. So incredibly cool, very high production values, run by a chap called Rob DeBank, a very famous, UK famous DJ and creative, and his, his, his wife, Josie. They used to run a real ravey kind of festival called Bestival. Like everybody had kids, thought, well, let's run a festival for us and kids. And so they moved into that space. And, and I thought, I want this in my kids' school. I want creativity festivals in my kids' school. So I went back to the school, had a chat with the head teacher who made the classic mistake of saying yes to me. Um, and in fact, as a Guardian, there's, there's, a, there's a headline in the Guardian newspaper that says, I just talk quickly till people say yes. Now, that was the headline of this article when I launched this project. And, um, and basically, two months later, I went back to her and said, right, Miss Woodford, um, it's next week. She said, what is it? I said, well, we're running this big, big creativity festival. I've got 70 parents coming in and... You, you said yes, that you remember. Oh, blimey, did I? Okay, and we made it happen. And, and what was <laughs> wonderful about this day, we called it, a, we, we, well, we, we, we call them Steam Co days, but what was really special about this was bringing the community into the school and collaborating across the school with that community. So we have teachers working with parents, uh, business people from the community, other people that we'd, we'd identified who had something to add. And I, and I passionately believe just about everybody in a school community and in a community has talent latent within them that can inspire children. Even if it's just patience, even if it's just listening, even if it's just tapping somebody on the back and say, well done, keep trying, not having a clue what the hell they're doing, but knowing that support and encouragement is a value. And, mm-hmm. and, and we, had, we, we, we did that for five or six years. So there was an event at, house, at Camp Bestel called the House of Fairy Tales, and they let us call our event the Little House of Fairy Tales for a couple of years because we couldn't think of a name and thought what they were doing was lovely. And we thought, well, maybe we could help them scale what they did. And um, we rebranded it to Steamco a few years later with, with a big event. So, yeah, that's, that's the, the rest is history, really. So on those, on those days, the kids could literally wander around the school off timetable and engage in any of the 20 creative thinking and doing activities that took their fancy. And we had a little mm-hmm. passport that they could get a stamp for every activity they created. Um, yeah, and, and, and you know, re- replicating that has been the challenge since. Some schools that can't allow or don't allow their kids to free roam like that, so we have a more structured council approach, which is fine. Some schools have, I mean, one head teacher said to me, I couldn't even get six parents cleared with the child protection agency dbs cleared to come and work in my school so my setting is very different we have to understand all these differences and make it work because the most important thing is the child and the most important thing is that the kids have access to these experiences and that we make them safe and structured so that's been the challenge really but hey you know nothing's stopping us now that's for sure what were the kinds of you said there were 20 activities what what were the activities like we kind of loosely structured them under the STEAM skills. The, the, the organization I started was STEAMCO, which, okay, stands for science, technology, engineering, and maths, the STEM with an A for art. Um, but for me, I, as a, I don't know if you've noticed, but a STEAM train fan. I, I also loved that play on STEAM power on the industrial revolution, moving aside for the creativity revolution. I don't know if you've heard of Eisenberg Kingdom Brunel, a big British engineer who built railways and bridges and, and was one of the founding fathers of the railways of the world. So Steam Co. to me sounds quite 
steam company kind of thing. But mm. everybody who says steam company in an interview like this, so this is your first warning, Louisa, anybody who says steam company to me gets a slap on the leg because we are actually, we're, we're not a company because it sounds very formal and commercial. And just because I talk quickly doesn't mean I'm trying to make lots of money here. What, what the CO stands for is collaboration. We are structured legally as steam collaboration CIC, Community Interest Company. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's all about collaboration. It's all about creativity, which is what the steam represents, and collaboration. So back to your point, we, we would give the children the opportunity to engage in 20 creative thinking and doing activities that loosely were related around the steam skills, making paper rockets, doing some coding, um, spin painting rolling up newspapers with a machine we've got to make titanium strong sticks that we could build chairs and bridges out of making massive bubbles and asking what it is that makes them stay together and why they don't fall apart i mean one activity we we got the raspberry pi little sort of tiny little computer thing we've got 20 of those the first 20 just or so on the market and we we actually taught 200 kids aged between 5 and 11 to code a a Raspberry Pi computer to make a Lego robot crocodile bite their finger when they put their hand in its mouth. I ended up on Al Jazeera, ended up in Brazilian newspapers, BBC came and recorded a series on the back of that, because this was like 10 years ago. Uh, we, we even built an electric car from a car kit and raced it on the world famous Goodwood racetrack, you know, so we, we, and that was just one of 20 activities on the day. We had a ton of clay delivered and the kids made an Anthony Gormley style sculpture of little faces and little heads. We, we've had um, Tom Moore, a fantastic um, drummer of a band called Scritty Politi back in the 80s and 90s. And he came in with a hundred bong, uh, bongos, mateme drums, and got the whole school drumming at the start and end of the day and gave drumming lessons during the day. We did breakbeat dance. We've done all, yeah, I mean, it's just fantastic. And, and the challenge really has been how do you package it up? How do you scale it? And how do you take this to every school in the UK, if not the world? You know, and, and that's the challenge. And that's where we're going next, really. And so I want to fast forward to uh, 2020 when everything was shut down and everything had to go online. And um, was that the year of, the, of your three-day Glastonbury Festival? That's right. Goodness me. I've just built it up. I'd given up my career. I had an advertising and marketing background, digital media, and I gave it all up to try and focus on rolling steam come out. And I started to get a few bookings. I'd started to get a few keynote speech, speaker gigs as well, which is great. Great way of spreading the word and, and getting some money because I was desperate for some income. Um, and obviously lockdown hit. And, and I lost absolutely every booking. Obviously, all the schools had to cancel. Um the other tiny little bit of income I had dried up. And I was really grateful to an organization called LGFL, who are a creative technology charity in London, who provide internet connectivity for London schools and a number of across the UK. Because they'd asked me to keynote their conference. And I and they said, oh, we're going to have to cancel that. I said, don't, don't, because they were the only people who had some money that hadn't been canceled completely. I said, whatever you do, don't cancel it. I jumped on my bike, and this is the day before lockdown, I cycled across London feverishly and had a chat with their CEO, John Jackson, and convinced him to consider doing a live event, an online event, so not live, an online event, and, and how I was going to get this amazing technology so we'd use green screens and make it look like everybody's in the same room and blah, blah, blah. And the technology I was going to use, it turned out, was like $50,000, you know, and it's like really high-end stuff. And in the end, he's, he gave me a, a, some money and said, look, go away and do what you can. So I bought a system. 
And, and part of that was this green screen studio you see over in the back here. And I had about four or five cameras. And the first session I did was like all feedback. So I didn't realize that how much Zoom and certain systems take the audio, um, cancellation, cancel reverse audio and stop the echo and stop the feedback. And I taught myself green screening. And, mm-hmm. and then the government, the Arts Council of England, announced emergency COVID funding to keep arts organizations and people like us going. And and I applied for a grant from them, and they gave us some money. So basically, what I did, I actually ran five art of community events, community art events. So the first one, we pretended we were at the Eden Project in Cornwall, which is a big ecology project with a big sort of space-type domes. And they gave us permission to say we were there, which we weren't, but i.e. just to use some JPEGs. And I did did a three-day festival. We had Basil Brush, who's like an amazing children's entertainer. He did a video. We had kids performing. So we we did three days. I had a DJ set on the Saturday night. I don't know if you can see there's still a disco mirror ball up there from the the heyday of that. (laughs) Um, So we had DJs. And and people could dance on a green screen at home on Zoom. And they would vision mix them in as if they were at the venue. And then we um, Glastonbury was coming up. And that had been cancelled, obviously. So we, we actually... It turned out a dad in my son's school it was a world-class computer graphics 3D modeler, animator, CGI guy. And he built a model of the Glastonbury Pyramid Fe- stage. So the Glastonbury Festival in the UK is symbolic because it has this beautiful pyramid stage, which is the main stage where the biggest bands play. Elton John's playing there this year. Um, Coldplay, all those people have done it. And... Um, and he made a 3D model of this of this stage. As it happened, a year ago, a year prior to this, I'd been working in a school just down the road from Glastonbury and launched a dynamite rocket and did my activities and workshops with the kids. And I'd actually got drone footage of me in the school. And we managed to superimpose the CGI model of the cardboard pyramid stage on the playground. So it looked as if we were actually there and the kids were in the playground. But obviously, they were all locked up at home. And we did a three-day festival. So literally... From starting at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'd be live on the BBC local radio, sort of 8 till 9, telling everybody to log in. And I tell you what, when you're working on your own, boom, that time comes out, you're like a steam train, go live time. You know, nothing like a podcast when you can sort of wait for me to get my act together before we start. <laughs> uh, and, and so I was live between 10 o'clock in the morning and midnight, nonstop. So 12, 14 hour live streams. I actually did stop for an hour for lunch. I had a friend, Malumba, who's my artist in residence production assistant. He was at home. So he was on WhatsApp sending me messages and telling me that the speakers, and I had people coming in on Skype and Zoom. Oh, my goodness. We had Martin and Gary Kemp, who were like very famous singers in Spandau Ballet, the big pop band. We had Glenn Matlock, who was the guitarist from the Sex Pistols, did a set. And he did that with um, Earl Slick, who was David Bowie's guitarist. You know, we had kids. We had a, a, a young chap with, a young lad from Leeds with cerebral palsy playing the piano, and he sent a video of him. And, and it was just brilliant. And then we did um, we did another one where we actually did a real event as lockdown lifted, where we did an event in a field in Devon, um, where people could come and walk through a maze of artworks, um, which we'd cut into the long grass. And then we had a small area where about 40, 50 people camped. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was just incredible. I learned all that from there. So I think that was my Blue Peter days coming back to me, really. And I've never given up being curious, working at how it works and making it happen. So here I am with green screens and all sorts of tech. I, your your passion for this and your your creativity is so inspiring. And I'm curious how your marketing and digital background have played into like teaching yourself how to use green screen and filmmaking. 
Well, it's funny, actually, because as you said that, it made me realise how what an utter failure I am, because I'm sure a lot of people would actually wonder if I really have got a background in advertising and marketing, because I'm absolutely rubbish at marketing. I'm, I'm fairly good at making little videos that nobody seems to watch, unless a really big retweeter shares them. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Well, I, I think I, I took technology to the advertising world and, and the marketing world. I was a very much a pioneer. I started my own digital agency working from home. I sold the idea to an exhibition company of giving CD-ROMs away at exhibitions. You know, that, that got me going for three or four years, and that got me Microsoft and, and Apple and Adobe as clients in those days. Um, mm. So... Yeah, I mean, really in the advertising marketing world, all I was doing was delivering that technology. I had a, I had a web agency of my own, one of the early ones called um, Arawak, um, which was to capture the kind of pioneering nature of people getting their thirst. Um, really, I'd, I'll be honest with you, I've always been quite bored by the advertising and marketing world when it does get down to the analytics and the numbers and the targeting and the segmentation. Yeah, that's for planners to do. I'm, a, I'm kind of like a crazy sort of, well, I shouldn't even call myself a creative in that context because those people reserve the label creative for genuinely creative people. I'm just a bit, as I said, jack of all trades. So I suppose my, my skill really, my secret, is it was in a way inspiring people, leading from the front, being up all night with people writing pitches, delivering pitches and i'll never forget pitching to the mayor of london actually for a website for 20 whatever it was 20 yeah, 2012 actually they had a summer like no other hundreds of events across london and we won that pitch and afterwards we said why did you win it they said because we wanted to work with you we just loved the energy in your team and i'm going to blow my own trumpet now because that's the energy i take to a team i guess and it, and i had a great team so we vibed off each other and they thought we want to work with them we want to have as much fun between 9 and 5 as they are you know so yeah that was <laughs> yeah i forgot all about that yeah there you go you really are digging it out now louise aren't you well done there's some exclusive <laughs> content exclusive content in here <laughs> <laughs> and i think that your your energy you so rightfully should be blow your trumpet about it because that's what drew me to you when i saw a video on twitter about the work that you were doing for let's create christmas with um parklands primary school in leeds and your energy and enthusiasm for helping the kids to create and be creative and put their work out there and live stream it was so exciting to me and that's that's why I reached out to you. Uh, so let's fast forward to that, um, the, the Let's Create Christmas project. Can you tell how it started and, and where it is now? This is a four-hour podcast, isn't it? I'm only joking. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, a, a word sprung to mind there, Synergy, because having just blown my own trumpet about this super creative, high-energy, inspiring bloke, whatever, whatever, people keep saying it, so I'm going to start believing it. But there's a word Synergy, which for me I always define as one plus one equals three. So when somebody like me meets somebody like me, it's either a clash of horns and we just kill each other and limp out of the room. Or <laughs> if, if there's a good Venn diagram of crossover, there's common ground of passion and creativity. There's a bit over here of me getting green screens and tech like that working. But when that bit over there is working with young people and changing lives, as in what that person does, but the crossover is passion and vision and energy and trust and collaboration – Wow, there's a lot that can happen. And four years ago, I went into I went to Leeds, and a friend of mine, Bryn, actually, I, I emailed him and said, "You're from Leeds. You know anybody who'd let me come up? There's a conference I'm going to on the Saturday." 
and he gave me four schools. Now, a lot of people don't give you their contacts like that. You know, that, that for me is, is true collaboration. Yeah, here's some people. Go and see them. They'll love you. And what goes around comes around. And on the, the last morning, I went into Parkins Primary, and chap came up. So I'm the head teacher, three-piece suit. Um, Chris, I went to shake his hand. He said, we don't do handshakes here. He just gave me a big hug and turned the sound system on. Goodness me. So I think he dropped a gorilla's track, actually. Just fantastic. And he told me how when he took that school over five, four or five years prior, there were, it was, it was, it's on the most socially deprived community uh, estate, the Seacroft estate in Leeds in Yorkshire, uh, which is one of the most socially deprived parts of the country, if not Europe. Um, social housing housing projects, whatever you guys say over there. And and he went in there, and 170 of the 300 children were being excluded for bad behaviour and, and mm. problems. And if you know anything about behaviour in school, it can be caused by a number of factors, home life, learning difficulties, hunger, whatever. And they even had a padded room in that school for children. This is a primary school. So children that couldn't behave were placed in a padded room till they calmed down or learned to behave. And this is enough to make a lot of people cry because it is heartbreaking. Chris shut the padded room down. He turned it around and he's just written a, and he bought a sound system. First thing he did was buy a sound system and filled that school with music. And He's just written a book about his times at turning that school around where no children are excluded now, where it's now outstanding. The UK government judged schools on four grades, failing, requires improvement, um, good and outstanding. He took it from failing to outstanding in four years and has just written a book called A School Built on Love. Because that school is now grounded in love and empathy and understanding and respect. I mean, it, I mean, it's just mind blowing. So I worked with him that on that that Friday morning. That night, I had dinner with him and his family, um, and, and you know, it's just such a fantastic person. And he's become a real rock, a real ally, a real collaborator. Because as I say, he's an incredible educator. That's what he knows and what he does. He's got that flamboyant bit in the middle, which is where we found common ground. And I can kind of get the green screens working. So what a team. And, and we've done some great stuff together, coding sessions and all sorts of things. And he's very popular on Twitter. So he's great at amplifying stuff. And so the, the, just before lockdown, I should probably take it back, actually. I, I was at a black tie dinner um, from my former life. I was invited to a marketing society awards dinner and everybody's wearing black tie. I got sent, I'd been at the conference. They said, do you want to come? Just go home and get your black tie on. I had to get the cobwebs <laughs> off that. I haven't had, had that out for a while. And I ended up sitting next to the marketing director of John Lewis, which is a big department store in the UK. Um, and I'd heard that... Their, every year their Christmas TV ad features a song by a musician and, and it's the biggest Christmas ad of the year. And I'd heard it was going to be Elton John. So I'd said, I said, do you fancy an early Christmas present, Craig? And he said, why, what have you got? And I'd never met the bloke before. In fact, he was sitting behind me, I had to tap him on the shoulders on one of those big round tables <laughs> behind me. And um, <laughs> I said, uh, I said, do you want an early Christmas present? He said, well, what have you got? I said, I gave him a rocket. I'd rolled in the, in the, the sort of bathroom. I'd nipped out and rolled this paper rocket about this big like I do in schools. I said, I got one to hand it to There's a rocket up there, actually. That's a slightly different one, about that sort of size. And, and I gave him a book. And again, I see, I've got the book to hand, actually. I did have one somewhere, but a book called Rocket Boys. And I'll come back to Rocket Boys. Mm. Don't let me forget to tell you about Rocket Boys. And, um, 
He said, well, that's lovely. What's that all about? I said, well, you've got Elton John for your Christmas ad, haven't you? Come on, you can tell me. It's coming out tomorrow, isn't it? He said, well, we have, but we haven't done Rocket Man. I thought, oh, my goodness, you've missed a trick because you could have merchandised the heck out of some rockets you could have bought in from China and you'd have paid for your ads because that's obviously the whole point of these ads, to flog stuff. So the next day, the ad came out and, um, and it was your song. His gift was his song and this one's for you. So I ripped it off YouTube very quickly um put some subtitles on it about how lucky elton john was to be given a piano as a child how hard he worked how much money he's made how many friends he's made how he's made the world a better place and how we need to fight for creativity in our schools and stuck it back on youtube and twitter elton john saw it retweeted it had fifty thousand views in an hour now <laughs> the, the, the following day i was due to be doing a keynote speech at the um the 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 the, the Grand Hall in Cardiff in South Wales. So I phoned up a school in Cardiff and said, hey, do you fancy a free rocket session in the morning? And they said, yeah, because schools have anything for free. So I went in there in the morning uh, and had the most fantastic time. Again, a very socially deprived community in Tiger Bay in Cardiff, which is one of the most racially diverse parts of the world because of all the slave ships that used to come in, all the coal, all the industry. And it's an incredible melting pot. And then in the afternoon, I did my keynote speech and then snuck into a back room. Uh, if you imagine a place like the Congress with all the round seats and a big throne where the, the, the MC sits, that, I, I saw that was empty. So I snuck in there and got three or four phones set up and I filmed myself doing a talk and announced a UK tour for the 12 days of Creative Christmas. And I actually blagged the car off Peugeot Citroen and drove from Cornwall all the way to Scotland over two weeks every day stopping in two days to do an assembly all about Elton John and his life and rockets, making paper rockets with the kids and then launching a dynamite rocket and then jumped in the car and went to the next place. I actually slept in the car one night because it was, it was so hand to mouth of finding these schools and ringing up schools off Google. Um, and I got to, um, to Sheffield in Yorkshire and I drove into the John Lewis branch there and I walked in there and because I, I had to get a new charger for my phones, I'd left it in one of the schools in my hurry. And um, I walked into the Lego department. There's a Lego train set there. But because when I do my talks, I show my little train set film. And I went into the toy department and I picked up a Lego, a, a Lego train set. Is there any chance I could have this? I said, well, who the hell are you? I said, I've just made a video that's promoted you to the world. Oh, great. Okay, you can have it. And I went to, I went to Parkins Primary, did my day at Parkins Primary, uh, where a little boy a year prior had put his hand up in the middle of my talk because I've been talking about steam skills and steam trains and, he, and rockets. He put his hand up and said, I said, what do you want? What's the problem? You've got a question? Do you want to go to the toilet? He said, no, you haven't told them about steam, about steam boats. I said, what steamboat are you talking about? Well, Titanic, built with Sheffield Steel. You haven't told And this kid is an expert on the Titanic. And bless him, that lad, I called him the Parkins Rocket Kid. I mean, I know his parents won't mind me saying this. You know, he didn't have an awful lot to look forward to for Christmas. Very, very socially challenged community there. And so I, I, and I gave him this Lego train set that he, his dad and his mum took home and he opened on Christmas Day. And he burst into tears. And I'll tell you something as well. When I gave him that present in Chris Dyson's office and his mum sat there, I burst into tears as well because it's just, you know, just how all this comes together and the power of what we can do when we connect with people. So, so that was, that's where my 12 days of creative Christmas came from. So as you say, yeah, we did one this year. We did one in lockdown. 
um, where, with a camper van, with a studio in the back of the camper van. And then this year we went in and we live streamed the Jingle Bells Rock <laughs> Christmas concert. And basically on the first day of the 12 days, I went to Parkland's. We did cardboard modeling, making things out of cardboard. And then... Um, went to schools around I, I, because I've got the live streaming studio in the back of a, of a, a camp, I say a camper van, you'd call it an RV. Um, in England, they'd probably call them motorhomes, but I like to be modest. Um, I put it in the back of a camper van and we did live streaming of carol services um, in Teesside up in the northeast of England, uh, a nativity, uh, carols in Herefordshire. My father was taken ill, so I had to redivert my tour and go and see him and then went into a local church where fantastic vicar, she had a, a pixie, Christmas jumper on, gave me a big hug at the end of it, which is lovely. And and then I went to a, a small village school in in the Welsh Valleys, where literally the whole school's got like forty kids, and we live stream carols from them as well with an Elon Musk satellite dish to get our internet connections. It was so remote. So yeah, gosh, I told you, I think we're about three and a half hours into this four-hour podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, what was the process? Of, let's focus on on leads. What was the process in putting together the concert? Well, the concert was a fantastic thing, really. I mean, when I first went up there at the start of the 12 days, I didn't know they were going to be doing this, and Chris didn't, because it was actually a bit of a surprise, I think, for him as a leaving thing, because Chris Dyson was moving on at, at Christmas. And um, basically, the, um, the one of the, the class teachers, uh, Luke, who's also Luke Goodwin, who's also a, a musician. He's got his own rock band called Titania that does all sorts of gigs in clubs and, and bars and, and festivals across the country. He is a musician. So he basically worked with the kids and some other teachers to write a rock musical based on a few carols and songs with some narrative and a bit of a, a semi-nativity thing and a Father Christmas thing as well. But he managed to make that into a curriculum project for them. So over the two months leading up to this event, the kids researched it, they wrote it, they did the graphics, they did the music, they learned to play the ukulele or the keyboards or the tambourine. He got his friends from the band in, a drummer and a guitarist. And I tell you what, it was off the scale. It was really, really, really good. Um, so the, the process was nothing to do with me. They just told me they would be doing it. Could I come up and film it? And I said, of course I can. So I diverted back up there. And what was lovely, particularly for, at that and other events, is that I've got this green screen. Well, I've got this TV studio in the back of my camper van with a vision mixer. And I've, I've spent a little bit of money last year on some wireless cameras. So the kids, I actually give the cameras to the kids now. So they're filming. So if anybody moans about the camera work, I don't take any complaints because you can blame the kids. And they, half of them haven't even touched a video camera an hour before we go live i show another child how to press the buttons to do the mixing and i just stand around running around you know taking take taking background footage basically and, and cutaway stuff mm. so they're actually doing it you know and they're getting an experience like no other and we live stream it into their community on youtube facebook twitter across the country if, if safeguarding allows and then parents who can't so we did a the, the, the nativity service we did in teesside was in a beautiful church and they'd, it was the first public school event they'd had for three years because of lockdown. Um, and obviously they couldn't get everybody in because every family wanted to send the grands and grannies and aunties and uncles and all these people. So basically they limited each family to three or four people, but we live streamed it so they could all sit and watch it on YouTube at home and pop comments in, which we could then pop up on the screen. And that was on a big screen behind the kids. So there was a sense of connection. I, I think the worst live stream events are literally just TV shows or something happening live. What you've got to do is you've got to tap into that interactivity. You've got to build a community and engagement. You've got to allow your audience to engage. 
um, like with Zoom conferences, you know, somebody's chatting away, you're typing messages, you're, you're inspired by things, you pop in a link, you chat to somebody else. That's the way it works. You know, it's not rude. That's the way the world works now. And I think anybody who's stuck in a in a one-way live streaming environment, whether it's musicals, the sort of stuff you guys are doing or plays, you know, really is going to miss the trip because people expect to be involved. They expect to be able to engage. They expect to have their views known. Um, and you have to take them, good and bad, you know. So we learned a lot doing that. And I can't pretend what we're doing is perfect. But because it's amateurish, we get away with, I wouldn't say murder, we get away with some very low production values, let's say that. What, what kind of lessons do you think you took away from it? From that session particularly? Um, I think the, the, th- the main thing for me, actually, I, 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 I shouldn't say I pride myself on not being very organized. And you've had a sense of that because it's taken you a bit of time to pin me down. But well, it's, the timing is now perfect because it's day one of the new year. Um, the, 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 because I've thrown the kids in the deep end, there's a camera, that's how it works, blah, blah, blah. What I really should do is give them a bit more structured training, even if it's a video, even if it's a few notes, how to frame a shot, how to compose it, not to be too jerky, to zoom in, to zoom out. The only thing we haven't got, I haven't got any comms with them. So I, I, I haven't got a headset and, you know, so like a, a walkie-talkie thing so I can chat to them and say, hey, camera one, zoom in on the drummer and camera two, pull out wide. That would take it to another level, but that's another sort of thousand pounds probably. I just haven't got that money at the moment. So basically I tell them to keep watching me and I'm doing this and, and you put over there. And, and in fact, I just run around and sort of point and tap them on the shoulder now sometimes. Um, mm. So I, 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 I mean, I've got a note over here. Look, goodness me. I, I, this is a post-it note from last year. This doesn't make you laugh. Look, plan more. That was my that was 20, that was 20, uh, resolution. I think I'll keep that up for 23, actually. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, I mean, this is a one-man show, and I don't, I don't expect to want it to be that forever. I don't want to run a big corporation. I don't want to make millions of pounds because it's not the plan. It's a non-profit. But what I, would, I do want to do is do this project justice and to do the talent and the people I work with justice so that they get the best possible production, but it still mm-hmm. retains that grassroots authenticity and the natural flavor. I mean, there are people on the, on the, I'm on Facebook groups with a technology platform, who's VMix, get great support from them. Some of them turn their nose up because I'm an amateur. I mean, a bunch of ex-BBC guys refuse to work with me because I use USB, you know, because that's not a pro technology. Well, I get that because it's not reliable. It's let me down, but I haven't got the budget to go 10 times order of magnitude on my production costs. And neither should I, because mm-hmm. schools should be doing this in five or 10 years time. They should be doing this themselves. You know, the technology I'm using on a very powerful gaming laptop will be available in the cloud. And all I do is plug laptops into the cloud and that'll be camera one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, click, and there'll be, there'll be vision mixing from the front row on an iPad, you know? But basically, I think we're at the early days of the gold rush, basically, the gold rush of real engaging interactive creativity and live streaming and media production. I, I mean, I've, as you can sense, I've been in digital media now since the late 80s. Um, and I used to interview staff, gosh, 30 years ago and and if they'd never done any video at all i'd they'd virtually not going to get any further in the interview but i talked to them about why it was important that they do and shouldn't be intimidated about it because at the end of the day manipulating video is just as important now as manipulating text in word and powerpoint in fact more so because we've now got ai bots that can that can write stuff it's how we present stuff visually now that is much, much more important. Um, so I, I think digital media production skills are key for absolutely everybody. And people still aren't being taught it. You know, I've got a friend, Russell Prue, who who runs a fantastic project in schools. So he, he installs t- uh, radio broadcast studios in schools so that kids can produce a radio show for the school every week, a bit like you're doing with your podcast. 
but he teaches them production skills. He gives them a pack of jingles that have their school names in. And that is absolutely fantastic. And, and a progression of that, not at the expense of that, because that still has a lot of value. Audio is fantastic. But TV studios in schools, and that's why I'm starting to take my live streaming TV kit out to schools and showing kids how it works and, and demystifying it. Because a lot of this is available for free. Every kid's got a smartphone now. They've all got a camera. Three mates have got three cameras. That's a three-camera shoot. Stick it on the web and you can live stream and just cut and mix and boom, you've got it. You know, so, mm. yeah, it's very exciting times. And there's so much of this can apply to community theatre and theatres in general that we have the technology is so accessible in a way that it hasn't been. And you were talking earlier about VHS and, like, I am old enough to remember VHS and uh, how in even my lifetime how much the technology has changed that it used to be and I mean parts of it are still very expensive but you know it used to be very inaccessible you had to be with a, a big studio to be able to create film and now like you say any kid with a phone can can do it and the importance of having those skills taught at school at a school level not just when you go into college or university that Having access, having access to those skills is just so vital today. Well, they are. And, and I think what we're talking about here are cross-curricular skills as well. And that's what, that, for me, is why the STEAM acronym is very important because it's, it's not really about those, those science, technology, engineering, art in, and maths in silos. It's about cross-fertilising those. So think back at the Jingle Bells Rock concert that Chris and, and Luke and the team there ran. Um, th th there's writing, there's graphic, there's design, there's set building, set design. Um, I, I mean, I've in lockdown, I've built a lot of sets with cardboard. Now, the the, the Glastonbury thing we, we, we did with computer graphics. I like to say we built that with creativity, code and cardboard. Um, I did an event with Chris later that year where we built a Mars base camp in the school playground in CGI, but actually made a real cardboard model of it. So the kids mm. could see the cardboard model and then we superimposed it on the school playground. We got them to film as if the rocket was taking off because it was called the AIM High Festival, um, AIM High at Parklands. And I built another model of that cardboard set with a starship inspired by Elon Musk's starship. And we had a Mission to Mars 22 UK tour. And we actually got funding from Jared Eisenman, who's a very, very generous uh, New Yorker who went to space on one of Elon Musk's rockets in September 21, I think it was. So, yeah, September 21. And we saw that. He saw what we were doing. He gave us um, some sponsorship that's, that year. And we built a cardboard Mars base camp where the, where the Starship takes off from school playgrounds. And we, and we had funding this year. We, we built, bought our camper van. We called it Starship 22. And we, the, the players, our, our camper van is our Starship. So there are occasions where we go to a venue and we get a bit of video of the van rocking up. And then the Starship lands in the school playground or outside the Ironbridge Gorge Bridge in Shropshire, the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution. So it's just wonderful. And people send me emails and pictures of stuff they've done with their kids and time they've spent with their children over Christmas making things. And maybe in three years they'll be doing little videos and animations and I used to build little theatres when I was a kid. You know, the little characters used to slide on the little rods from the side and stuff like that. It's yeah. great. I might need some more children. Don't tell my wife. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say to theatre companies who are hesitant to stream or hesitant to embrace technology to either promote or to share their work? Oh, goodness me. Um, I mean, the Arts Council England are doing a lot of work in this area, um, and I haven't had an awful lot of a look into that. But I, I think if I had some tips, 
the number one thing. A lot of people would think the most important thing is the visual. It isn't. The most important thing is audio. Because however good it looks, that novelty wears off in about three minutes if you can't hear it, if the audio is rubbish. So you really do need to consider, and most theatres now obviously are miking people up anyway. They've got radio mics and audience mics and, and a sound desk, so that shouldn't be a challenge. Don't be intimidated by it. Um, obviously, if you're, if you're, live, if you're filming a, a show live, then obviously you're going to need some fairly good cameras that can work in low light. I haven't got the budget for decent cameras. Um, or do a production that's dedicated for filming. I'd I think, as I said earlier, I, th- I think if I had, well, audio is number one. I can't get away from that. But I think as important is think hybrid and think how can you genuinely inv- engage audiences who are in and away from the room? And how can you foster collaborations between them as well? So there's, there's a brilliant video conferencing platform called Hopin. Have you come across that? Yeah. yeah, for events and stuff. If you've ever been to a conference that's been run on Hop In, there's a, there's a speed dating function where you get you click a button and you just find yourself chatting on a video call to somebody who else is there, and you get 60 seconds, and if you get on really well, you can have another 60 seconds. Well, can you imagine watching an event in a theatre and maybe watching it at home and then pressing that button and chatting with somebody on the other side of the world at home who's watched that same show, and you can tell them what it's like to be in the theatre, and they can have a chat with you and your wife or your husband or your children or your friends or the people in the row behind you, and you can say what you thought. So, yeah, lot, lots of potential. I mean, it, there's a lot to be done now. I mean, we, I live-streamed at Camp Bestel this summer. I had my, my camper van backstage, and a big DJ called Fatboy Slim, who you may have heard of, really big guy, he did a set. <laughs> and I gave QR codes out before he went on to the audience and said, scan this if you want to live stream into our vision mix. And a bunch of people scanned that code and their camera came into my vision mix. So they were the cameramen of the Fatboy Slim set in my mix. Yeah, That's and, amazing. And it, it was early days. It was pretty rough and ready because the biggest problem you have at, at, at live events is that everybody's on their phone, so there's very little data. So the lesson from that is get yourself a dedicated mm-hmm. Wi-Fi network, which we tried to do, but I didn't have the right dongle for my SpaceX Starlink satellite system. Um, but I had where to go, and, and a few people did, and it was magic to see this guy. And, he's, and you could see his face because he knew he was live because it went. It said, you are live. And can you imagine so, uh, like being able to see some concerts or Glastonbury and things like that? And and you don't have to monetize everything, you know. I don't believe that live streaming cannibalizes live revenues necessarily. Um, and there are ways of getting around that. And, yeah, I don't know. but Because I, I, it's, it's so rough. You're going to make people think, want to go and see it properly. If they can, they will. But I, I suspect, the bit, again, brings me back to my post-it note, really, plan more. You know, after my father was taken ill, I had to distract and... I had to divert and go to Shropshire. From, I was in Yorkshire. I had to get down to Shropshire, which is in the south of England. And I wanted to go to Wales, um, and I scoured Google to see what Christmas events were on, what concerts were on, and there was a local amateur dramatics, or, I don't think they were amateur, actually, professional dramatic organisation, doing a performance of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol in a local church. And I went to this church, my goodness, I'll never forget, it, it was really spooky, because the church was derelict, scaffolding and planks all over it. Um, and it was wet and gloomy, and it was quite dark. And... Mm-hmm. I thought, what an amazing place to do a live stream of Charles Dickens. It was that night. And this was like two o'clock in the afternoon. So I emailed the vicar and he forwarded it to the production guy. And I got an, I got an email back. I, um, in fact, I got a phone. I phoned the guy because I, did, I, I didn't get a reply. And he said, I've just emailed you. I'm really sorry, but we can't, we just can't entertain this at all. 
And I, I totally got it. You know, if you're if you're doing a production that's going live in three hours and you've got a bunch of spinning heads and lo- headless chickens running around and spinning plates, the last thing you want is a nutcase like me even just asking where the power is, you know, <laughs> and getting in the way. So I totally got that. I mean, I would have been fairly low-fi, I must admit, but it was – so I, I just went and slept on the top of the mountains that night. But <laughs> it was, I, I, planning is important, obviously. But, but don't be afraid to give things a go. I mean, the theatre world – has very high expectations, very high production values. But I think there are ways of doing things where you can manage expectations. Um, and I think a great way of doing that would be to work with people like me, who, who by definition come with very low production values, who are quite quirky, quite cranky. So people are, and, and you're not therefore associated, your brand isn't damaged by the nonsense I get up with. And it might just help promote what you do, you know? Mm. So, yeah, there's some tips and in there, hopefully. For me, it just making it more accessible like you when you're live streaming that production jingle bell rock from leeds that the community who aren't able to come in person are still able to watch their kids perform and and now they have that the record of that too and it it just it just makes that whole world so much more accessible i think the big thing for me now really is yes i'm a one-man band it's all very exciting but Basically, at the end of the day, I've, I've got to scale this. I really want to scale this. Um, not to make a million quid, as I say, because it's a non-profit. I'm not allowed by law to make any money, but I'd, obviously I'd like to get paid. But I want to see, I want to put 22, maybe 23 people like me, we call them steamsters, on the road with a little truck that we've got that contains everything you need to run a creativity day in a school, as a fete or at a festival. I've got one um, outside my house now. Last year in January, I went to John O'Groats in the northernmost tip of Scotland and launched this appeal, the Our Million 22 appeal, to raise this million quid to inspire a million kids. A quid is, is slang for pound. Very bad English. Raise a million quids <laughs> to inspire a million kids, powered by their creativity, powered by community. Uh, my mother was taken very ill in, um, in March, actually, unfortunately. So I, we went to her. And she was given a three-month prognosis um, with cancer. She was riddled with cancer, bless her, and she just put up with this, and she was 83. Um, so we got her home from the hospital on the Saturday, and that night the district nurse came in to see her who'd be looking after her and said, I know you, Mrs. Corston. Um, I've got a photo of you on, on the fridge in my kitchen uh, with my two daughters because you taught them painting on a summer arts and crafts play scheme that you ran with your husband in Ludlow in Shropshire 30 years ago. And the next, the next day she brought that clipping in for me. And there it is. There's a picture of my mum with her daughters that's been on her fridge for 30 oh, years. Yeah. And, then, and then on the Sunday, a carer came in, a lady called Siobhan, who's a minimum wage, low-pay carer, and... She said, Mrs. Corston, you taught me sewing on that play scheme. And, and I realised that my mother's not an artist. My dad's was worked for the BBC as an engineer. He has hated his job and became a counsellor and ran youth clubs and started local play schemes with my mum. Mm. And, and it made me realise that there were just ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And how what I was doing with Steamco inadvertently was part of their legacy. You know, and, and I wrote to, to a few people and told them what had happened. And somebody gave me a match funding pledge of $50,000, actually, which they then upped to £50,000 to keep it simple, which I was very <laughs> grateful for. And that, with that, we bought that camper van and paid to keep things going for a year. I went to six festivals. I worked with many, many schools, 
uh, for free. Some could pay us. Uh, but I didn't raise that million quid. And on the, on the Monday, I went into a local school to, near to Mum, actually, and launched the appeal in Shropshire, hashtag Shropshire22. And we were on Radio Shropshire, and I played Mum the videos, and we looked at the photos, and she was very frail at this time. And she passed away the next day. Oh, I'm so sorry. So that letter I sent out, we got the funding. Yeah, it was, it was, but you can draw such inspiration from these things, you know, and realise that, as I say, we are ordinary people, but we can do ordinary, do extraordinary things, as you are connecting people globally, taking my message to people. And I'm determined that this year somebody's going to say, do you know what, Nick, I love what you did. I'll match fund $50,000 or pounds. I'll give you half a million if you can raise your half a million. I don't know. Um I just need to get three people on the road because the thing is, you see, I mean, good job. There's only one Nick Corsi, fortunately. I'm not saying I'm brilliant at everything, but there's only one me. I'm a fairly rare blend of people. I'm that Blue Peter child. I'm that cardboard modeler. I'm that passionate tech head, I suppose. I'm a leader. I'm a doer. But I need to, to prove that this can scale, that I can teach other people to do this. I can teach people to go and do the talk that I do, to lead the assemblies, to facilitate communities, to launch a dynamite rocket at the end of the day, to get the insurance covered for that. Because if we can do that for three peak schools, in three, or three schools, three areas, I want to do it in Cornwall, I want to do it in Yorkshire where Chris is based, and I want to do it in Shropshire where my mother was based. If we can do that and in three or six months show that this can scale, we can get another 20 on the road in the UK. Maybe we can get somebody in the US. I've got a few friends in the US who'd love to do this with me across the world, Australia, whatever. You know, it's it's not rocket science. My dad, my, I mean, talk about rocket science. My dad found a book in, in a charity bookshop he volunteers in six years ago called Rocket Boys about how four boys growing up in West Virginia in the 60s didn't want to be coal miners in this dead-end coal mining town. They looked to the sky, they saw the Sputnik satellite, they learned to make rockets and end up working for NASA. And Homer Hickam, who wrote that book, it's a, it's a Universal Studios um, movie called Rocket Bo- uh, called October Sky. The book is called Rocket Boys. I think Disney did a musical of it or doing a musical or a theatre musical of it. But that story had changed my life. Homer's generosity, I connected with him on Twitter. He gave me permission to use that story. He's been generous as a patron to a, to a kids' club, online club we want to start maybe this year. But stories like that, time that my dad spent with me, time that my dad bothered to read that book to give to me, he gave me my art. My art is now connecting, I guess, because art, I've often got an I Love Art t-shirt on, but you caught me with a surfing t-shirt today. But I've usually got, here we go, there's an I Love Art t-shirt. If anybody wants one of those, do you want to sign up for our Patreon or send you an I Love Art t-shirt? But <laughs> Seth Gomey gave me a lovely phrase. He said, art is what we call it when what we do connects us to somebody else. So I go into schools to help them find their art, these kids, to help them aim high with their art. Their art could be painting, photography, cooking, coding, cardboard, dancing, design, DJing, football, fashion, robots or rockets, you know. We've got to help kids, as Professor Guy Claxon said to me, we've got to help the young people in our care as parents or as community. We've got to help them find something they're passionate about, and then help them follow that dream. That's our role as society. That's role as educators, as parents, as what I call creative carers, people who care about children, who care about creativity, and who care about what Sir Ken Robinson called all our futures. Here ends the lesson. Thank you for listening. <laughs> That's been all right. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. What a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for your time today, Nick. 
I had such a fun time chatting with Nick. His passion for ensuring all school children receive access to the arts and creativity is inspiring. Here's a little bonus content we recorded for you. We're recording this at the start of 23, but had a really exciting end of 2022, not least... I don't know if you know a chap called uh, Michael Rosen. He's a fantastic children's author, a poet. He's a professor at Goldsmiths uh, University for for teaching and for literacy in English. But he has a fantastic way with words. That's what he does. But he wrote a beautiful paper called "What Have the Arts Ever Done for Us?" Um, and it was he gave that as a lecture in the British Houses of Parliament uh, for Melissa Benn and, and her family as part of an annual thing they do. But In that document, he talks about the importance of creativity, the importance of art, the importance of literacy and literature to children, and how if we're not careful, we're still teaching that love of reading, that love of literature, that love of theatre out of kids by making the way we teach kids so unpleasant and unbearable, phonics and some of these these schemes. Um, And and I I featured that paper, actually, because I met a young lad at the end of last year working with the Royal Opera House on an Arts Council project, a little lad called Teo. He came up to me at the end of the day and he said, can I tell you what I want to be when I grow up? I said, yeah, sure. He said, I want to be a dancer. And that little lad, he then told me about how he wants to stay on the right road, what he calls the road awesome. But I don't want to go on the road not awesome. And, and, and I made a film of this and I've just found out that it's just been nominated for the, the UK Charity Film Awards inspired in no small way by by Sir Ken Robinson, his work, because he talks in the TED Talk about Gillian Lynn, who wanted to be a dancer, and she was diagnosed as being sick. There's nothing wrong with her. She was just a dancer, as the doctor told her mother. Um, Michael Rosen publishing that paper, really succinctly spelling out in a document where Ken Robinson did the TED Talk. I believe Michael Rosen has written the white paper for the next generation, for this next decade. And, And as we go forward... I really want to launch a creativity revolution across the UK. I want to launch it in Shropshire, the birthplace of the world's first industrial revolution, inspired by Sir Ken Robinson, inspired by the words of, of Michael Rosen, but not least that young lad, Teo. So look out for that. Teo's Road Awesome is the name of that film. <laughs> and it's a joy to make it. It is available. It's on our YouTube channel, but it's also on the Charity Film Awards website. So go and watch it there and click the vote button. It doesn't take a second. They don't scab your, e- they don't grab your email addresses or anything. It's, uh, it's, it, and it's run by the Smiley organisation. You know, the little Smiley badge. It's part of their, um, their social out- outreach work. So yeah, do vote for that. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to Steamco and the videos that Nick talked about today. The Filmed Live Musicals podcast is created and edited by your host, Louisa Lyons. Filmedlivemusicals.com is where musicals come home. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Shout out and all the thank yous to our wonderful patrons, Geraldine Brewer, Belinda Broido, Elliot Charles, Rachel Esteban, Mercedes Esteban Lyons, Hannah Graneman, Luke Hasselman, James T. Lane, Heather Madrone, Alison Matthews, David Negrin, Gerald Piper, David and Catherine Rabinowitz, Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, Joe Tillotson, and Beck Twist. Patrons generously provide financial support to preserve the history of film stage musicals and contribute to the curation of one easy place to find them all. If you would like to support the site, receive early access to this very podcast and early access to site content, become a Filmed Live Musicals patron for as little as $3 a month. Visit filmedlivemusicals.com to learn more. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on Apple Music. It really helps get the word out about the show. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks for listening. Thank you.